Well, hey, welcome to First Church. If you're new, my name's Chad. I'm so glad that you chose to worship with us, whether you are here on site, if you're down at our Modern Hymn Service, we wanna welcome you guys as well. And we also wanna welcome in our online family. I just got a message that Jaden from Maxwell Air Force Base is worshiping with us as well as others. So if you would put your hands together, welcome everyone to worship here today. So glad all of you guys are joining us. And today we are wrapping up our series, Hacked, which is a series on relationships because God intended for relationships to be for our good, but Satan loves to hack what God intended for our good. And so we've talked about all sorts of stuff in this series, but today we are specifically going to talk about one relationship which I believe is attacked in our culture more than any other when it comes to the horizontal relationships we have, and that is marriage. And before we get started, I just wanna make this statement right here. Marriage is God's idea. It's not our idea, we didn't come up with it, we didn't develop it, it's not a human concept, it's not a human idea. Marriage was created by God, designed by God, ordained by God. And therefore, if we want for our marriages to be all that God intended them to be, then we need to look at our marriages through a spiritual lens. That's why in Proverbs 16, verse three, it says this, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. If you want a marriage that is firm and established and secure, then you've gotta commit it to God. You've gotta do it his way. That's what the Bible teaches us. Now, no one has a perfect marriage. We're not saying that. But if you want a healthy marriage, a solid, secure marriage, it starts with committing your marriage relationship to God. And I think that's where we sometimes get off track. And in the Bible, God gives us an entire book in the Old Testament that talks about what a marriage is supposed to look like when it's done God's way. And this is a book of the Bible that you may have not studied before. We don't talk about it a whole lot in church, but it's in there for a reason. And it's the Old Testament book called Song of Solomon. Now, sometimes people call it Song of Songs. That may be how it's labeled in your Bible. Sometimes it's called Solomon's Song, but it is a book that gives us an example. Song of Solomon is an example of what intimacy in a marriage should look like when a husband and a wife know God. And this book is in here to help us know what healthy intimacy, healthy romance in a marriage should look like. And I never studied this book when I was growing up in children's church. You know, they didn't cover this in vacation Bible school. They didn't talk about this. And I remember the first time that I ever really studied Song of Solomon. It was when I was in Bible college training to go into ministry. And I had a class called Old Testament Poetry. And I remember when we got to the Song of Solomon, I mean, my eyes were like this big. I was like, this stuff is in the Bible? What? Uh, one of my favorite rides at Silver Dollar City is Outlaw Run. You may have rode this ride before. Here's a picture of Alex and me the past, this past time that we went to Silver Dollar City. And that's not Photoshop. That's actually what Alex's face looked like when we were on the stripe. If you zoom in just a little bit, it was cold, but look at my eyes. That's how my eyes looked when I first studied Song of Solomon, okay? I was like, what in the world? I didn't even know this was in here, but it's in here for a reason. We get an example of a godly marriage between a man named Solomon, who was king over Israel, and his young bride. We're not told her name. We're just told she's a Shulamite woman. That's all we know about her, but we also know she's a commoner as well. 
And as we read about their romance in the earliest stages of their love and on through the years as they're married, it's really a beautiful picture of what God intended for a romantic relationship within the context of marriage between a husband and wife to look like. It's really a beautiful thing. But when I say that that book talks about romance, I mean, it really does talk about romance. And I think sometimes what Solomon and his bride were trying to say to each other that's recorded in Song of Solomon is kind of lost in translation. And so I've asked our worship team to stay out here with me because they're gonna help me translate some of the stuff that King Solomon said to his young bride. So you kind of get an idea of the tone of what is contained within this book, Song of Solomon. So let's welcome back to the stage our worship team. Tim Tibbles is here. And uh, I'm gonna basically give you some lines, some actual lines from Song of Solomon. And again, some of this is lost in translation. You know, we were like 3,000 years removed from when this was written. So uh, Tim's gonna help us understand with his team uh, what the context is here, okay? So here we go. Here's a line from Song of Solomon 4, verse four. This is Solomon saying this to his bride, okay? Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Hey girl, you must be a traffic ticket because you got fine written all over you. You know, every idea sounds great in your office until you actually do it on stage, okay? But let's do another one. Why not? Okay, here we go. Solomon says to his bride, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Ooh, did somebody turn on the lights or did you just smile? By the way, uh, Tim and his wife are celebrating their 27th wedding anniversary this week. You need to use some of these lines, okay? Yeah, will that work? Okay. You're welcome, April, if you're listening right now. Okay, one more. Let's try one more. Here we go. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Romantic, right? Here we go. Hey, girl. Are your legs tired? because you've been running through my mind all day long. All right, that's all I can take. Let's give it up for our worship band. Now, you probably didn't expect to hear any of that in church today, but there's a reason why we did it. If you feel really uncomfortable right now, uh, that's mild compared to some of the other things that are contained within Song of Solomon. But the reason why we did that is because we want to give you a feel of what this book is really all about. From the moment that Solomon and his bride were first attracted to one another, to their engagement, to their marriage, to their honeymoon period, to the years of their marriage following their honeymoon, to the ups and the downs, we get to see what their romance looks like. The Bible gives us a front row seat to this. And if you come from a more traditional church background, I get it, you might be thinking, hey, I feel really uncomfortable and I don't know about this and I'm not sure if this is an appropriate topic, but let me just clarify why we're covering this today. First of all, Paul says in the book of Acts that those of us who teach should not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. There's a whole book in the Bible devoted to this subject. If God felt the need to put it in scripture, then we need to cover it. 
Now, we cover it in the appropriate context, and that's why we've been very clear. This is an adult service today. There's a PG-13 warning, right? That's why we have great next-gen ministries if you want to take your kids there, if they're typically in here with you. But we need to cover it. If we skip over this, then we're skipping over part of God's Word. And we're not a church that does that. We are a Bible-preaching, believing church. But then there's also another reason why I think it's important that we discuss this. A lot of people, many people, learn about sex from the back of a school bus or in a locker room conversation. And they're learning about sex from people who honestly have no idea what they're talking about. You know what I'm saying? And I believe that it's our responsibility as the church to show people what sex is really all about. You see, just like marriage is God's idea, sex is also God's idea. God created sex and he created it for our good. Sex is a gift from God for a married couple. And it was meant for our enjoyment. It was meant for procreation. It was meant to be a very, very good thing. Can I get an amen? One is practiced within the appropriate context. But everything that God made has an appropriate context. And outside of the right context, it can be a very, very dangerous thing. And I think that's why it's important that we don't treat sex like a taboo issue or just a sinful issue because sex in the right context is not sinful. It's a very, very good gift from God. But outside of that context, it can be very dangerous. I love it how one author puts it. He words it like this. Sex is like a fire. In the fireplace, it keeps us warm. Outside the fireplace, it burns the house down. Here's the message of the Bible. Keep the fire within the marital fireplace and stoke that fire as hot as you can. I like that. Within the fireplace, it does what it's supposed to do. Outside the fireplace, it burns the house down. And that's why repeatedly in the Song of Solomon, this line is contained. It's in there multiple times. Promise me not to awaken love until the time is right. Romantic love is a good thing. It's a positive thing. God ordained it, but don't practice it outside of the appropriate, proper time, outside of the context in which God ordained it. Because if you practice it outside of the appropriate, right, proper time, it can be a very destructive thing. See, that's why Jesus says in John 10, 10, He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, a lot of times when we quote this verse, John 10, 10, we just quote the last part, that Jesus came to give his life to the full. But did you notice the first part? There's a thief out there. There's an enemy out there who wants to kill and destroy that full life that Jesus wants to give us, right? And that's true about marriage as well. See, Jesus wants to show us, God wants to show us how to have marriage to the full. But there's a thief who wants to rob us of that, who wants to keep us from having that. Case in point, this is Lawrence Ripple. He's a friendly looking guy, isn't he? But Lawrence Ripple, just a few years ago, he robbed a bank in Kansas City, Missouri. And when he robbed this bank, he had the clerk put a bunch of money in a bag, and then he went after he got the money, and he sat down in the middle of the bank lobby with his gun still in hand and bag full of cash. And he waited for the police to show up. 
And when the police got there, they arrested him. He didn't resist. And one of the officers asked him, why is it you didn't run? Why did you rob this bank and then just sit here? And you know what he said? He said, because I would rather go to jail than go back home to my wife. True story. And what was great was that when he was sentenced, a judge sentenced him to six months of house arrest. I love that. <laughs> True story, okay? You got to give it to that judge, right? <laughs> Guys, that's not what God intended for marriage. And we know that. And we can laugh about that. But you know, there's a lot of people who've experienced a lot of pain because marriages weren't done God's way. And sex wasn't seen through the lens of God's eyes. And in our culture today, the idea of waiting to have sex until you're married, not having premarital sex, people make fun of that. It's seen as antiquated, old-fashioned. And I've even heard Christian people make comments like, well, you know, sometimes you just got to take a car for a test drive. And they say it tongue-in-cheek, but everything said in jest has a little bit of truth behind it. And Kyle Ottoman in his book, Awake in Love, talks about that analogy. He says, the test drive analogy sounds great if you're the driver, but if you're the car, not so much. Once the other person walks away, you no longer feel valued, you just feel used. It's a good point, isn't it? And it's not just premarital sex. Sometimes it's just mistakes that have been made within the marriage context, maybe that you made or maybe that others in your family made that have affected you. And some of you right now, because you've tried to do it God's way, you're not married and you wanna be. I get it. In this room today, watching online, watching in our modern hymn service, there are all different types of people and all different types of backgrounds. And I just wanna let you know, whether you're happily married or you're struggling right now, whether you're divorced, whether you're single, whether you're widowed, whether you've made some mistakes in the past, whether you're single and you want to get married, I mean, you're ready to mingle, or you're single and you never want to get married. No matter what situation you're in right now, this message will have something for you because when we understand God's purpose for marriage, not only will it help strengthen our church, it will help strengthen your relationships, but it will strengthen our culture as well. And no matter where you are right now, good, bad, whatever, what situation you're in, when we turn to God for help, our relationships can only get better from this day forward. And so that's what this series has been all about. That's what today's message is all about. And I hope that we can all approach it with an open mind as we study this book called The Song of Solomon. And so we're gonna go ahead and dive into it and we're gonna pick up in Song of Solomon chapter seven. So if you have your Bibles, wanna turn there, that's where we're gonna be. And Song of Solomon chapter seven is kind of toward the end of the book. I'm skipping over a whole lot of stuff, which I'm gonna reference as we go along. But the reason why I'm picking up in chapter seven is because Solomon and his bride, his wife, have just been through a really rough patch. They've been through a down season. There's been some disagreement. Uh, there's been some words that have been said that should not have been said. There have been some frustrations between the two. They've been apart from another uh, for a little while, and things have not been good for a season. Now, I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, but wait a second. I thought this was an example of a godly marriage, and it is. You know why it's included in Song of Solomon, the fact that they had a rough patch? It's because no marriage is perfect. No marriage is perfect. We are two people, and if you're married, you are two people who are both sinners, 
who both make mistakes and God's grace is needed in order for us to continue to move in the direction that God wants us to move in. So this just reminds us, no marriage is perfect. And if you're struggling right now, we have all been there before. And Solomon and his wife, they were there at this point. But what they decide to do is they decide to say, hey, listen, we don't want this to continue anymore like it's been going. We know that God has something better in store for us, something better planned out for us. Their focus is on God. And so they say from this day forward, we're going to do it God's way again. We're going to focus on him. And so what they say is things have got to change, and this is a new day for us. And I want you to notice what Solomon says to his wife when they begin this new chapter, this new day. He says in verse 1 of chapter 7, How beautiful your sandaled feet, O princess, prince's daughter. How beautiful are your sandaled feet? So they decide to start this new day. They've come back together. They're going to have a fresh start here. And the first thing that Solomon does is compliment his wife's shoes. Now, I mentioned earlier that Tim and April, that this week they celebrate their 27th wedding anniversary. Something that uh, Alice and I have in common with Tim and April is this week is also our anniversary week. And we're gonna celebrate on Tuesday 14 years of marriage, which is not 27 years, but we're still excited about that. And so we're excited to have our anniversary on Tuesday. But in 14 years of marriage, I don't think I have ever voluntarily said, Allison, I like your shoes. I just don't think I've ever done that. Now, she may have asked me about her shoes and I. I've responded, sometimes not in the best way, like how much do those cost? Or don't you already have a pair like that? But, you know, I haven't always said the right thing, but I don't think I've ever just volunteered, hey, I, I love your shoes. Your feet look good. You know, I don't think I've, I've ever done that. And may, maybe you have, I don't know. So what is Solomon doing here? Why is he complimenting her feet? It's the first thing that he says, because he's noticing her. He's noticing the small things about her that maybe he has forgotten. He's noticing her in a way where she feels valued. He's noticing what she wants him to notice. And I think the first challenge that we get from this passage is this, intentionally notice your spouse. Whether you're struggling right now, or your marriage is okay, or maybe it's great, make a commitment that you are going to intentionally notice your spouse. And by that, I mean notice what your spouse wants you to notice. Notice the things that will add value to your wife or add value to your husband. Notice the things that they see as important, but sometimes you miss. And you know you miss them, but you get distracted. And the thing is, husbands want for their wives to notice different things than wives want for their husbands to notice. We're different. We're wired differently. But notice those things that will add value and importance to your spouse's identity. Because sometimes we get so distracted that we miss what is important to our spouse. I have to admit, I do this all the time. I'm a busy guy. You are probably busy as well. And I get easily distracted. And sometimes I just need to set my phone down. Sometimes I need to shut my laptop, turn off the TV. Sometimes I just need to listen to my wife and pay attention to her. Sometimes I just need to be intentional about noticing her. And that's why I use the word intentional here. Because it takes work for a marriage to work. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that before, but it's true. It takes work for a marriage to work. And sometimes you've got to do some extra work 
to make it all that it's supposed to be. Now, here's the thing. Our culture and our society doesn't say that. Our culture and our society leads us to believe that romance should be easy, that love should be easy, that we shouldn't have to work at it. And when we start to work at it, it gets too hard. Well, it must not be real love. But the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, the Bible teaches the exact opposite of that. Listen to what 1 Corinthians says. It says, love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Does that sound like love is easy all the time? No. Sometimes love requires a whole lot of work because love is not primarily a feeling. Feelings are involved. But love is primarily a choice. It's a choice that we make. We choose to love our spouse. And when you choose to love your spouse, even when you're not feeling it, you still love your spouse. It takes work for a marriage to work. And let me just see by a show of hands. How many of you who are married, you have, you have had to put in some work that you never thought you would have to put in in order for your marriage to be what it is today. Let me just see some hands, okay? Do you see all the hands that are up right now? Now, the only people who are not raising their hands are either those who aren't married, newlyweds, or older folks who didn't hear what I just said, okay? Um, <laughs> it takes work for a marriage to work, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that because when something is valuable to us, we will always work for it. You know, what if you said, what if you just got done seeing the doctor and the doctor said, hey, you need to make some changes to your lifestyle or you're not gonna make it much longer. I mean, you need to change your diet and exercise and all that. And you looked at your doctor and said, uh, doctor, doc, I'm not really feeling that. You know, I'm not, I don't feel like going on a diet. I don't feel like exercising, but I still wanna live as long as I can. Your doctor's probably gonna laugh at you, right? He says, obviously your life is not that valuable to you. What if you said, you know, I really don't feel like going to the office or going to my job, but I still want to draw a paycheck. So you call up your boss and say, hey, send me the paycheck, but I don't feel like showing up. Things going to happen? No. What about when it comes to the kids? I really don't feel like watching the kids today or raising my kids right now at this point in life. So I'm just going to let them raise themselves. They'll be fine. That doesn't work in any other arena of life. But yet sometimes that's how we treat our marriages. We need to choose today to invest in our spouse, to look for their interests. And that's what Solomon does at first. Then he moves on. He goes on to say this. He says, your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of a craftsman's hands. What's Solomon doing? Well, he's moving up her body. And as he moves up her body, he compliments her legs. He says, your legs are valuable to me. They're more valuable to me than rubies and jewels. And they're more valuable to me than a house that a skilled craftsman could build or a boat that a skilled craftsman could build. They're worth everything to me. What is he doing? He's saying every part of you is valuable to me. Every part of you is worthwhile to me. He's helping her see herself through his eyes. Because here's the thing, they've just been through a time of conflict and there have been a lot of insecurities that have come out during this time of conflict. But it wasn't just during the time of conflict that insecurities existed. If you read back to when they first met, she struggled, his bride struggled with a lot of insecurity. In fact, listen to what she says to him when they first met. She says, do not stare at me. The sun has burned my skin. My brothers were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. 
Go on to the next slide. Alas, my own vineyard I could not keep. In other words, she's saying, hey, don't look at me. I've been scorched by the sun. I'm sunburned and my skin doesn't look good. I haven't taken care of myself. My hair is not made up. I don't have any makeup on. I've been working in the fields and I'm all dirty and sweaty. Don't look at me right now. Because she sees herself as just a common worker and she's not good enough for the king. She goes on to say this. She says, I am a meadow flower from Sharon, a lily from the valleys. In other words, that may sound beautiful to us, but what she's really saying is I'm a common flower. I'm nothing special. I'm just a flower from the meadows. I'm just a lily from the valley. And look at how Solomon responds. Like a lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the maidens. Ooh, that's good stuff right there, you know? Yeah, you, you may be a lily, but you're a lily among the thorns compared to all the other ladies that are out there. He's smooth, but he means it. See, she has insecurity issues, and we all do. Men and women alike, we all have something that we are insecure about, if we're being honest. And marriage is a place where you can reveal those insecurities and you don't feel judged, and you can just be you. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to be someone you're not. You don't have to put on a show. There's no pretense. See, marriage creates this sense of security, and that's what marriage is supposed to be, a place of intimate security to where you can be you and you're loved by your spouse. See, this has been God's plan from the very beginning, that two people can feel totally safe in a marriage, in a marriage covenant. If you look way back at the beginning in the book of Genesis, it says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Marriage is the one relationship where you can be totally naked with another person, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every way possible, and feel no shame. When it comes to my wife and me, Allison knows things about me that no one else knows, and I know things about her that no one else knows, and that's the way it's supposed to be. I will do things and say things in front of her that I wouldn't do in front of anybody else, and that's okay. Because it creates that intimacy, that special connection. See, true intimacy is being able to surrender your secrets knowing you will be loved by your spouse no matter what. That's what God intended. But let me just say, if you're in a marriage right now and there are a lot of secrets, or maybe you're intentionally keeping secrets, you need to reevaluate that because that's going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead to problems. Marriage is a place where there should be no intentional secrets. I told my son Alex just the other day that I don't keep any secrets from his mom because he was trying to tell me something. He said, don't tell mommy. I was like, I don't keep any secrets from your mom. And he looked at me and said, yes, you do. I was like, no, I don't. And he said, you didn't tell her what you're going to get her for Mother's Day. And I'm like, well, that's different, okay? I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, that's a gift. And she ended up finding out, okay? But you guys know what I, what I mean. It's supposed to be this place of security. And when you know that you can be in a relationship where there are no secrets and no judgment or anything like that, then what ends up happening is it creates this safety, this security that you have within that relationship that you can't find anywhere else on earth. Solomon keeps going. He says, your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. <laughs> Let me just give the men in the room some advice, okay? 
don't use this line. In fact, don't ever use the word waste and mound of anything in talking about your wife, okay? Just don't do that. Obviously, there are some cultural things going on here that don't translate, okay? But let me tell you what Solomon's doing. What Solomon is doing is he's talking about the wheat that comes from a field that sustains a family. And what he's saying here is, you are my provision. You are God's provision to me. You, what I'm so grateful for because you sustain me. You are there for me. And I am appreciative of you. And we don't know how long Solomon and his bride have been married at this point. We think maybe it's been some years. It's possible that she's already had a child by this point. And I wonder if he's looking at her midsection and thinking about what a blessing it is that now they have children together. He's appreciative of her. And I think what Solomon is trying to tell us is lift up your spouse. Lift them up. Encourage them. Let them know how valuable they are to you, how much you appreciate them. Because we live in a world that is quick to tear people down. And sometimes in marriages, that happens as well. Guys, don't blame your spouse for everything, but choose to bless your spouse. Treat your spouse like a gift from God that should be cherished, not used. Don't focus on their weaknesses. Yeah, we all have weaknesses, but focus on their strengths. Don't constantly bring up their flaws, but show them the same forgiveness that God has shown you. And I know what you might be thinking, but Chad, that's hard to constantly build up my spouse. Do you know how imperfect they are? Do you realize who I live with? Yeah, I get it. You live with a sinner but so does your spouse, okay? I remember Rick Ashley, one of my favorite preachers, he said years ago, he said, you know what marriage really is? It's the union of one sinner with another sinner who end up creating little sinnerlings. And you know, I think that's true. We're all imperfect. And I'm not saying that if your spouse needs to be corrected on something, that you don't do it in love. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is show your spouse the same grace that God has shown you, because none of us are perfect. And if you make it a point to build up your spouse, lift up your spouse rather than tear them down, it's amazing how it will change your perspective. And Solomon keeps going, verse three. He says to his wife, I wanna emphasize to his wife, okay, your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. When we were going over the slides earlier this week, because we always do a run-through of everything for the service, one of the staff members said, are you really gonna put that verse up there? I was like, yeah, I am. It's in the Bible, for one thing. And it gets even more graphic from here, okay? And I'm gonna spare you those details. But I put this one up here because Solomon's making a point here. He's saying that God created husbands and wives to enjoy each other physically. This is essential to the marriage relationship. And if physical intimacy never takes place, and if it doesn't take place on a regular basis, then the Bible teaches us something isn't right. See, the power of sex is found in its exclusivity. In Matthew 19, verse four, Jesus goes back to the creation account. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is sexual language. When sex is only practiced, limited to 
the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife, there is something powerful about that. There's something special about that. There's something unifying and healing about that even. But when it's taken outside of that context, it can be very much used and abused for the wrong purposes. I love that Jesus here says, and he's quoting what God said in creation, but the two shall become one flesh. Not became, but become. As if it's not just a past act, but the more that you have this physical intimacy, the more the oneness is developed. And it's not just in the bedroom. It's also having physical enjoyment just in being in one another's presence. It's spending quality time with one another. It's doing things together in life. It's doing life together to the point that you delight in being around your spouse. Listen to how Solomon's bride responds to him. She says, I belong to my lover and his desire is for me. Can you just see the delight, the joy they have in one another? Now I get it. Every day you're not going to feel like that. But you want to keep striving for that. You want to make sure that you're spending quality time with one another. And quality time isn't about proximity, but it's about presence. It's about actually being present with your spouse, not just being under the same roof, not just being in the same car, not just being in the same room, but actually being there with them, being one with them. And Solomon's bride goes on to say this. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. You know what she's saying there? You can buy sex, but you can't buy love like this. You can buy sex. You can settle for an uncommitted relationship out there. But you can't buy, all the money in the world can't buy the type of love that God intended between a husband and a wife who are devoted to him. See, what Solomon and his wife decide to do is they decide to be horizontally committed to one another while being vertically committed to God. This is the secret, this is the key to having a healthy marriage. It's being horizontally committed to one another while being vertically committed to God. See, marriage, in all reality, isn't a relationship of two. It's actually of three. It's husband, wife, and God with God at the top and husband and wife beneath him. And the closer you get to him, the closer you get to one another. That's how God intended it to work. It's kind of like when you button a shirt. I've got a button-up shirt right here on today. And if, have any of you ever put on a shirt like this and you've started buttoning the wrong button on the top and then you get down to the bottom and it's all off and you didn't realize it until you got to the bottom? Maybe some of you didn't get didn't realize it until you got to work or whatever, you know, and you've been off. What do you got to do? You got to start back over again, right? But if you get the first button right, then it's easier to get the next button and the next button and the next button. That's how our relationships are supposed to work. When you get the top button right, when you get your relationship with God right, when he is the foundation, when he is the source of your marriage and every relationship you have, the rest of it comes along easier got to have the top-down approach. That's what Solomon and his wife had. And this was a quality that she saw in him from the very beginning. She noticed in him that he wasn't just a king, but he was a godly man with great character. Listen to what she says about him. He says, she says to Solomon, 
The fragrance of your colognes is delightful. Your name is like the finest perfume. In other words, she's saying, you don't just smell good on the outside, you smell good on the inside too. You've got a great name, a great reputation. You are a person of great character. Is he perfect? No. Solomon made a lot of mistakes. But he was a man who sought after God, and she knew that. And let me just say, to those of you who are dating right now, or maybe you're engaged, or you're single and one day plan on getting married, beware of the person who smells good on the outside but stinks on the inside. And sadly, I'm afraid that's how a lot of marriages in our culture today are. They look really good on the outside. People know how to put on a good show on the outside. But on the inside, things are pretty stinky. On the inside, things are falling apart. The key to having the type of marriage that God intended us to have, a marriage that's healthy, that is full of romance and fulfillment and satisfaction, is a marriage that isn't stinky on the inside, but a marriage that is filled with God. That's why in the Psalms it says this, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. You can try to build it on your own, but unless it's the Lord, unless it's the top-down approach, it's building your house, what you're building is gonna be built in vain. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what situation you're in. We've got a whole diverse group of people listening to this message saying, I get it. But no matter where you are today, in any relationship, whether it be marriage or some other relationship, if you have the top-down approach, when you start with God first and you commit yourself to doing it His way, as that proverb said that we looked at earlier, when you commit yourself to doing it His way, your, your relationships, your marriage, can't help but get better from this day forward. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this moment that we've had to open up your word and study it. And I pray that we will be a people that from this day forward will commit ourselves to doing marriage, to doing our relationships your way. And Father, we know that our relationships on this earth will never be perfect. But when we commit ourselves to doing them your way, that they can only get better from this day forward. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.